At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening. Good morning, good morning. High five somebody, tell them good morning, and then take a seat. Take a seat. It's good to see you. Good to see you. My name is Journey, and if I've not had the chance to meet you yet, it's my joy to be the pastor here. How are we doing, 1045? Uh, is it, I have had a key lime pie LaCroix, and you know what it tastes like? It, it, it tastes like, it tastes like mineral water that was placed inside an airtight container on the table next to a key lime pie. That's what it tastes like, Colin. I love you, but mineral water is the worst. Is the worst. I have to tell you, um, perhaps I was a little boastful last week. Yeah. Yeah, my Razorbacks got embarrassed. I had a guy come up to me. It was his second Sunday at church. And I was like, hey, what's up, man? It's good to see you back. We didn't scare you off. He goes, no, you didn't scare me off, but you sure aren't flying nearly as high as you were last week, were you? I was like, well, my team didn't lose to Princeton, so he's a Missouri fan. He's probably not coming back. (laughs) I hope he does. We'll see. Maybe we can still be friends. Uh, Hey, how many of y'all are excited about Easter coming up in a couple of weeks? Come on, somebody. Man, it is going to be so good. Easter is the pinnacle. Easter, do you like that? Yeah, sorry. Uh, Easter is the pinnacle of our faith. Man, we celebrate that not just the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus, the event that changed all of human history. And I don't know if there's anybody in this place today whose life has been changed by the cross and the empty grave. Y'all did so much better than the first, the first service. I, I, listen, I, there's two things that I want so badly as your pastor. I want you to know, love, and follow Jesus, and I want you to respond when someone on this stage says something that is good news, all right? And, and by God's grace, we're going to get there, okay? Um, but man, that's what we're going to celebrate. I want to tell you about something that we're doing new this year. We've not done this before. Um, on Good Friday, we are going to have a Good Friday worship service uh, right here um, at 6.30 Friday night. And listen, we love and we celebrate the empty grave. I mean, if it wasn't for the empty grave, the cross really wouldn't matter. But because of the empty grave, we can appreciate the cross. And here's what we all need to be reminded of. We can't get to the power of the resurrection without first going through the agony of the cross. And so what we're going to do on Friday, Good Friday, we're going to spend some time together as a faith family. You can bring anybody that you'd like. You can bring your family. Um, and we're just going to have a time where we are going to intently orient our lives and our spirit in this Easter season in an adoration and appreciation of Jesus and his death on the cross. And it's going to be a powerful, powerful night. I want to invite you to come Good Friday, 6 Here's what I believe about this Easter. I believe that this Easter may be the most significant Easter in our city and in our nation in recent history. I believe that there is a a spiritual hunger across our our, our country right now that is, is above normal, that is beyond average of what we normally see and what we normally experience. 
want you to consider some information from the Barna Research Group. They did some polling and here's what they found. They found that three out of four people say that they want to grow spiritually. Think about that. Three out of four people in our country, they want to grow spiritually. 77% of all Americans, which is funny how they did this because that's also three and four, but you know, I didn't write the report. 77% of all Americans believe in a higher power. That number is up significantly from just a few years ago. And then this is the one that floored me. 44% of people are more open to God today than they were before the pandemic. I mean, listen, I I just believe that there is a a spiritual hunger. I believe there is a spiritual thirst. I believe that there is a spiritual longing. I believe that there are a lot of people who are recognizing and coming to grips with the reality of some things that the last few years has, has, has caused them to realize that they're not nearly as secure as they thought. They weren't nearly as safe as they thought. And they're beginning to ask some questions beyond just the physical. They're beginning to ask some spiritual questions. And can I just say this today? If you are here and you are one of those people, or maybe you're tuning in and you're watching online and you're one of those people, I am so glad that you're here. Discover Church is a place where we want to invite you in to belong and hang out with us as you work through about whether or not you're gonna believe like us. That would have been a great opportunity for people who believe that, a part of Discover Church, that you agree with that to respond. All right, so let's try one more time. We want, we, we want you to know that we want to invite you in. We accept you into this place to belong with us and hang out with us as you wrestle through whether or not you believe like us. And we really mean that. I know that I'm kind of pandering a little bit for some applause to make me feel a little bit better about myself in that moment. But listen, can I just tell you as the pastor of this church, I mean that. We did not start this church to be the place where people who know, love, and follow Jesus can just come and sit down and then just not care about anyone else outside of here. We started this church to be a place that we are passionately concerned about people who are working through the issues of life that are asking big questions about faith. We wanted to create a place where it would be okay for you to come hang out with us as you are asking those questions. And I hope that you'll find this to be true. Here's what I believe. I believe that every single one of us have a journey in life that we're working through. And I believe that every single one of us have a journey with God that we're gonna work through. Whether you are aware of the journey or not, God is wanting to walk with you on a journey through your life. And I believe when you look through the pages of the Bible, littered all over the Old Testament and the New Testament, God makes abundantly clear over and over and over again that though there are lots of steps for us individually in our relationship and walk with Jesus, there are four steps that God has always, always, always wanted every person who has ever had breath in their lungs to take. And the first step that God has always, always, always wanted people to take, he has always wanted lost people to be saved. What does it mean to be lost? It means that that you have not found true life, you've not found true victory, you've not found true peace because you've not found Jesus. And God has always wanted lost people to be saved. God has also wanted saved people to be pastors. So once you come to a saving faith in Jesus and you you trust in him and you begin to experience his love and his grace at work in your life, God's desire has always been for people who've been saved to be pastored. Why? Well, because we all bring baggage with us. Every relationship you enter into, you bring baggage with it. Like turn to your neighbor right now and say, you've got bags. Not... Not, I, not on your eyes. We, anyway, 
That could have gone sideways really quick. Let's move on. God wants us, to, God, wants us, God understands that we, we've got some stuff in our past that we need help with, that we need some healing with. We've got questions that we need to work through. And so God wants every person who is saved to be pastored through, through being connected with, with other believers in Jesus who can encourage you and pray for you and support you as you navigate what it means to follow Jesus. God has also wanted pastored people to be trained. God wants us to realize that once we become a part of his family and we become a part of, uh, of what he's doing, that he wants to train us up because he never intended for us to just sit and soak in, in church. He never intended for us to just sit and soak up as much Bible knowledge as we can, to just sit and soak up all of the worship songs. That's not what God wants. God has always wanted to train us, to prepare us. Why? Because God has always desired for trained people to be mobilized. For us to realize that the purpose of being a follower of Jesus is not to just sit and, 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 and soak and the world revolves around us. It's so that we can be mobilized to go out into the world and to tell the world about Jesus. People who are looking for hope, who are asking big questions to help them see that the answers they're looking for are ultimately found in Jesus. And as a church, we, 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 have, we, we kind of say it this way, your journey with God is our mission. We have built our church around helping leading people into these steps. And so we want to lead lost people to be saved. We call that that we want to lead you to discover life, discover the true life that is only found in Christ to help um, save people be pastored. We, we say that we want to lead you to discover belonging. Why? Because, because it's in the process, like you can be forgiven of something that you've done by just having a conversation with you and Jesus. But you won't be healed of the effects of what you did until you get into connection with relationships with other believers. So we, we say that we want to lead you to discover belonging because in belonging you find forgiveness and healing and freedom. We want to help um, train or uh, pastor people be trained. We say that we want to lead you to discover your purpose. Here's what we believe. We believe that every single person was created on purpose for purpose. I talked to a guy after the first service. He goes, man, I just don't know that I believe that. I go, what do you mean? He goes, have you seen the movie Encanto? I go, I have children. Of course I have, 48,000 times. He goes, you know how everyone in the family had a gift except her? He goes, that's me. And then there's a lady standing next to me. She goes, did you not see the end of the movie? He goes, yeah, she screwed in a doorknob. I go, bro, she had the thing that connected it all together. Okay, Whatever. Right, so he, like we're trying to help him see, bro, you were created on purpose for a purpose. And then we ultimately say that we want to see trained people mobilized. We say that we want to lead people to make a difference, that, that, that you can know that every day when you wake up, that there is a, a divine purpose that extends beyond just make money, pay bills, lather, rinse, repeat. That there is a purpose for you being here and we want to help you do that. And so about a year ago, God began to stir our church up a little bit. A year ago, we had finally, after the pandemic, we had, we had kind of landed into some predictable rhythms as a church. Now, if you're relatively new with us as a church, you may not know that our church is not very old. Our, our first service as a church was in August of 2018, and so we had about 18 months under our belt before the pandemic happened. And that, uh, that turned over a lot of things. It caused a lot of chaos, and it took us a long time to kind of reestablish our equilibrium. And by, by, by about this time last year, we had kind of began to kind of get our feet under us and, and get comfortable in, in who we were as a church and, and getting comfortable um, getting familiar with everybody. There's so many people that came to our church after the pandemic. And when like the first several weeks where we started taking the masks off, there's a lot of people like, now who are you? And I'm like, I, I served next to you for the last six months. Who are you? 
And like, oh, I didn't know what the rest of your face looked like. And so it, we, we begin to, to get comfortable and get familiar with each other and figure out how we can love and serve one another and, and love and serve our community. And about a year ago, God reached down and just kind of stirred us up a little bit. And God said, listen, I'm glad that you made it. I have a lot of friends who started churches about the same time that we did. They didn't make it through the pandemic. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm thankful that God let us make it. I don't know why one person's thankful for that. Me and you, Vern, right? Like, like I'm thankful that God allowed us to make it. We made it through, praise God. But God began to stir something up in us and God began to say, listen, listen, I, I've got a message for you. And, and, and the message is, I want you to understand it very clearly that, that I'm glad that you made it. But don't settle in this place. Instead, God gave us this message. It was simple. It was two words. He said, never settle. Never settle just for what, 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 what exists now. Never settle for, for the amount of people that are here now. Why? Because God is infinitely concerned, not so much about how many people are in the church. He loves those people. We're going to talk more about this uh, as we continue today. But God is infinitely concerned about the amount of people who have not yet found the, the hope and the forgiveness and the freedom that comes in Jesus. And so God put this vision on our heart. He said, listen, there's lots of people in Kansas City. It's not your job to, to fix all of that. But, but for the next two years, God began to put a vision, put a vision on our heart. And we have, been, we have been outworking this vision for the last year. And the vision was to see 250 people take their next step in their relationship with Jesus. And so what we did is we was like, okay, God, we'll, 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 I, guess, I guess we'll do this. Like this seems kind of big. It seems kind of impossible. But, but, but we began to say yes. And here's the reason why God motivated us. Because God began to help us see that four out of five people who call Kansas City home do not have a relationship with Jesus. And that if we become the church, that just is like, hey, we've got us, you know, a few people and that's it. Shut the doors. Katie, bar the, the, the doors and the windows. No more can come in. But that's just not the heart of Jesus. And so God caused us this. He stirred us up to, to begin to do something about it. And can I tell you, I'm, I'm thankful for what we've done and I'm thankful for what God has done and I'm thankful for what you have done. So many of you that were here when we went through that process, man, you leaned in and said, man, I'm gonna be praying and I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna give because I wanna see 250 people take their next step with Jesus. And I'd just like to give you a little bit of an update that since we began this journey uh, mid-April of last year, we have seen 75 people take their next step in their relationship with Jesus. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's 75 people that, that took the next step to discover life and, and they, they, they demonstrated that by being baptized. It's people that, that maybe took a step to discover belonging by engaging in a small group for the first time at Discover Church. Some of them um, discovered purpose and they went through the next steps course and began to understand how they're wired and why they're wired the way that they are. They began to realize how God can use them to make a difference by, by joining one of our dream teams. And, and these are 75 people that prior to us starting this journey um, just, just under a year ago were, were in one place in their relationship with God, some very far from God, some stuck in their relationship with God, some in a wilderness desert season, some, some just kind of rolling through the motions. But these are 75 people because you gave, because you prayed, because you have served. These are 75 people that are in a new place with their relationship with Jesus now because of what God did through you and through us. And I just think that's pretty amazing. 
And the cool part of it is, is that I know that there are a number of people that are still in process of taking their next step. I know that there's a number of people that are at Discover Church and you have joined a small group for the first time this semester. And so maybe your small group leaders talk to you about it or not. But listen, we prayed for you. We, we prepared the place for you to be able to find people and discover belonging by, by creating space for you to come join a small group. And so at some point, your small group leader is going to talk to you about that and we're going to celebrate that. But we also have some people like this man I want to tell you about, a man named Devin. Devin is a man who was invited to our church last fall when we were doing a series called Who's Your One? And we're going to do a little bit of a Who's Your One rewind um, today and next Sunday. And Devin came. He was invited by his brother and his sister who had been coming to Discover for some time. And in, in the, the, the message series that I did, every week I was asking the question, who is your one? Who is one person in your life that is close to you, but far from God, that you would pray for, that you would look to show and share the love of Jesus to? And Devin came on one of those Sundays and he left and he told his brother and sister, don't make me your one. Don't do it because I'm not going to do that. In Devin's words, he said, I've been an atheist all my life. I followed the basic guidelines of being a good human, loving my neighbor, helping when I help us ask for, honoring my wife and my children. So listen, I'm good. I, I, I'm not interested in that. Devin said, I've, I've, I have studied the Bible for 20 years and I've never been able to see what the big, big deal is. Of course, you know what happened. They told, he told his brother and sister and guess what his brother and sister did? They started praying. They started looking for ways to serve him. And here's what's crazy. While all that was happening, Devin was going through some hardships. Now, in the last series we did called Hope in the Dark, one of the things that, I, that we talked about that we learned is that God doesn't cause these, the, the, these dark things to, to happen. God's not some maniacal thing just, just pouring bad things into your life. Um, that, that's not how God works. But what God will do is he will use those things that do happen in your life to, to draw you to himself. And Devin was going through some hard things. He was going through some things in his personal life, in his home, and some hard things that he was navigating. And this is what Devin wrote me. He said, without having any belief in our Lord Jesus, I prayed. And I cried, and I begged for mercy. I begged for him to save me from the hells of this world. He knew I was stubborn and proud. He allowed me to hear the message from the church with my heart. And listen to this. I love this. I, I, I can't script this. He said, I felt my spirit come alive for the first time in my life. Can we say amen and praise God? Listen, here's the deal. Devin has come to faith in Jesus and he, he's trying to work it out. But can I tell you something? He's still in the midst of it. He's, those same things that he's wrestling with, he's still wrestling with those things. He's still working with those things. And so, listen, I, I just want to, as a faith family, because Jesus didn't come to build an organization. Jesus came to build a family. And I just want to know, I'm not sure if Devin was in the first service or the second service or if he's tuning in online today, but if you, as a part of his new faith family, if you would commit this week to pray for Devin by name, you don't need to know the details, just pray for Devin by name. If you would commit to that today, would you put your hands together and say, brother, I got you. We're praying for you. Welcome to the family. We got your back. Listen, we don't exist as a church to be comfy and cozy. That's not why we're here. If you've come here today and you're looking for a church to be comfy and cozy, number one, you should have picked up on that really quick when you walked in and realized that this is a gym. Some of you are like, what? It takes a lot of work to make this happen. 
We're not here as a church to try to be comfortable. We're not here as a church to be cozy. Let me tell you why we're here as a church. Colin mentioned it earlier. We're here as a church because we want to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. That's why we're here. And it's not that we're trying to impose something on people. We're just trying to invite people to consider. Invite people to consider that Jesus is everything that he says he is. And that when we allow Jesus to get a hold of our life, Jesus begins to go to work to change our lives in all the best ways possible. Amen? And so that's why we're here. We're here to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. And so, so, so the reason why we're here is because of each one of these 75 people. We're here to see more people like them take their next step in their relationship with Jesus, to to give Jesus access to their heart, to begin to see Jesus at work changing their life. But the question is, is why? Why why is this such a big deal? And why are we so opposed to being cozy and comfortable? And and why are we, we, you know, such a big deal about the mission and and marching orders? I want to tell you a story why. And it's taken us a little bit of time to get to the Bible today, but we're there now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles or turn them on or whatever your thing is. If not, we'll have them on the screen. But if you're with me today, in Matthew chapter 9. Let me hear you say amen. Why is this so important to us that we constantly are, are consumed and concerned about those who are not yet in church as opposed to just being like, all right, this is it. This is enough. Well, I'll tell you why. And Matthew chapter 9 tells us. It says this in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. Jesus is in the northern part of Israel, near the Sea of Galilee, in an area called Capernaum. In the area surrounding that, there are all these, these towns and cities and villages. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's just walking from one to another to another. And, and, and he's, he's going into their synagogues or places of worship. And he's, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And he's, he's proclaiming the gospel. The word gospel means good news that, 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 that God has sent a solution to the problem of humanity. And that it is, it is Jesus himself. And he's, he's healing people. And as he's going through this process, as he's getting up close and personal with all of these people, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, Jesus to see something that moves him. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, if you have your Bible today, I want you to mark or underline some way the words weary and scattered. And I want to help you understand what these words mean. The word weary literally means flaying or, or uh, peeling or skinning of the skin by being harassed. In other words, it paints the picture that these are people who were battered, bruised, mangled, worn out, and exhausted by the things of life. That it has come to a point that, that it is excruciatingly painful and frustrating. But he also saw people who were scattered. The word scattered literally translated mean to fall on the ground in fatigue and hunger. It paints the image of somebody who is passed out drunk on the floor, totally helpless. When Jesus looked across the multitudes, he saw people who were exhausted, that have given in all of their best effort to try to meet the expectation of a spouse or, or a parent or a child or a, an employer or a boss or, or to meet the expectations of the religious system that was established and they are worn out and they are exhausted. They are weary and they are scattered. 
And as Jesus walked about the multitudes from town to town, village to village, city to city, he saw men and women. He saw, he saw husbands and wives and grandparents and grandchildren and sons and daughters and parents and children who were, who were weary and worn out and exhausted and, 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 and fed up and frustrated by all of the work and all of the effort, but continuing being battered and bruised by the weight of it all. They lived under Roman oppression, so most of these people were radically poor because they were constantly being taxed more and more and more. And so they were, they were, some of them were in poverty. Some of them were dealing with, with medical infirmities. Some of them were dealing with marital crises. Some of them were navigating issues between their children or between their parents. Some of them were working through hardships financially. But whatever it was, when Jesus walked across the multitudes of the city, he saw what their physical needs are. And can I tell you something today? I believe that as we walk about our business, as we go about our life today, I I believe that we come in contact every day with the same kinds of people. People who were weary and scattered. But I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't just look at them and see the physical manifestation of what they were dealing with. Jesus was able to look at them and see the spiritual weariness of their soul. You see, these were Jewish people that, that were, were, were in, in, entrenched in a system of worship that God had established. And it was right and good what God had established. But the problem was, is that, that men came in, in in positions of power and they perverted it and they distorted it and they manipulated it so that it was no longer a, a right, true and good expression of worship and, and religion between a people and their God. It was now an opportunity for, for these religious leaders to be able to get financial gain and, and, and political power and kickbacks. And so when Jesus looked out across them, he, 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 he was filled with compassion. This word compassion literally translated means bowels or guts. In other words, it paints the picture that in the same way when you face intense agony or intense grief or intense anger, that you feel it on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? When your stomach starts churning and your, your stomach's in knots, right? That, what this is saying is, is that when Jesus looked at all this, he was filled in his stomach with knots, that he had a physical manifestation out of and response to an emotion that he felt when he looked across and he saw the people and what bothered him most is that he looked across them and he said that they are like sheep without a shepherd now in order for this to make sense unless you are an expert shepherd in the room today and I'm going to venture a, a guess that there's not many of you here um, but if so feel free to come up and correct me afterwards but but here's the deal with sheep sheep are special special animals they are radically dumb and completely helpless and defenseless. Most animals in the animal kingdom at different moments either sit as predator or as prey. The only thing in the, in the, in the earth that has ever been scared of a sheep is a blade of grass or an aluminum can. I mean, they're just dumb. They, they can't defend themselves. They're not fast. They've got terrible eyesight. They, they're, 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 they are constantly consumed with just eat, 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 sleep. Eat, 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 sleep. That's all they do. And so in Jesus' day, a shepherd, their job was to go about and protect the sheep. 
And who was supposed to do that? It was the religious leaders that were supposed to do that. The religious leaders were supposed to be caring for them. The religious leaders were supposed to be guiding them and, and pointing them to God, but instead they're not. And Jesus looks across and he sees like, like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. They're just wandering about and they're all exposed to risk. They're all exposed to danger. They're all just trying to figure it out on their own. It's no wonder why they were weary and scattered because the very people that God had sent to guide to protect, had fallen down on the job. And they made the job all about them. So Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus saw the spiritual weariness. Jesus saw the lostness of their soul. Jesus saw their spiritual blindness. He looked across and realized there's all these people that are trying to go through life. They're trying to make it on their own. They're trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're trying to, trying to ask, ask their friends and, and, you know, first century Jewish Oprah, whoever that was, and like, how do I, what do I do? And how do I navigate? What am I? What? In the absence of any real answers, what do they do? They just work harder. They just try to do better. They just try to do more. There's constant belief that if I would just do this and do this and do this, that maybe our, the stars will align, maybe we'll get lucky and, and all of our, our problems will go away and our prayers will finally be answered. But I've just got to do, 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 do. And Jesus shows up and he sees all of this and he has a very interesting response. He, he's, he doesn't respond in anger or condemnation because they don't have all the right answers. He doesn't respond by pointing a finger of accusation at them because they're spiritually blind. What's the matter with you? Why haven't you figured this out yet? No, no, no. Jesus's response is very interesting because Jesus's presence was his response. You know, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. Well, let me tell you a parable that Jesus told in Luke 15 that helps us to understand this. In Luke 15, Jesus is hanging out with a, a group of people. You see, the religious leaders, they should have been caring and, 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 and protecting and guiding the people of Jerusalem, but instead what they did is they made it about themselves and they created rule after rule after rule that made it impossible for the everyday normal average Jew to be able to do all of the religious rules. And instead of trying to come along and support the people, what these religious leaders did is they built all these rules in place to create more separation between them and the people because the normal person couldn't be as holy as a, as, a, as a religious leader. And so these religious leaders come by and they see Jesus hanging out with a, with a group of people, these, the, the, these, these outcasts, these dissidents. They often refer to them as sinners and tax collectors. And they come and they say, Jesus hanging out with them. And, the, and these Pharisees, the religious leaders, they start criticizing Jesus. And Jesus responds with a very interesting story that's really rhetorical. Verse four of Luke chapter 15, he says, what man of you having a, a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, let me help provide a little bit of context. In those days, most of the time, the person who owned the sheep was not the person who was shepherding the sheep. Sheep were very expensive. They, 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 their wool was very expensive. Um, their, their meat was very useful. They were used as a part of the system of worship for the Jewish people. And so it was a, it was a good commodity to have sheep in your investment portfolio. So what would happen is, is they would find these shepherds. And because shepherds spent time with the sheep, it was a, it was a thankless job. It was a dirty job. It was a job where you spent out away from all the people just with the sheep. It was a smell job. And so typically if you were a shepherd, that was the bottom rung of the totem pole. Like if you sucked at being a shepherd, there was no fallback plan. There's nowhere else to go. I'm at the bottom. And so if a shepherd lost 
a sheep, it was a really big deal because not only has he lost something valuable to the person who owns the sheep, but he has lost the trust of the person who owns the sheep. And when that happens, then the shepherd will either lose his job and in some cases even lose his life. So when a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he realizes he's counting them, eight, 98, 99, we're short one. Well, the shepherd freaks out. And so Jesus continues to tell the story. The religious leaders would have understood all of this. And Jesus is asking rhetorical questions for them because he would have known what the answers were. Verse five says this. And when he has found it, that's the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I found the sheep, that means that I'm not going to lose my job. I found the sheep, which means I'm not going to lose my life. I found the sheep, which means I'm going to be able to put food on the family in. And I'm struggling anyway. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. And so I need this job. And so I found my sheep. Come on, man, y'all, y'all rejoice with me because I, I'm still alive and I can still put food on the, on the table for my family. Jesus says, verse seven, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Do you understand what Jesus just said? Jesus said, let me tell you how me and my father, God, how we count. We're grateful for the 99 that are in the sheepfold. We're grateful for the people who were in the doors of the church. We're grateful for the people who have come and made a decision to follow Jesus. We're grateful every single time a follower of Jesus takes their next step. Man, it is great. It is awesome. It's amazing. But let me tell you what we are most excited about. We are most excited when someone who is not in the church, when someone who does not know Jesus, when they are found and they get to be a part of the family. That's what Jesus is most excited about. Let me put this in a different kind of context. If you are here today and maybe you would say, you know what, I'm not really sure where I am with Jesus. Maybe I'm kind of upset with Jesus. Maybe I've got some questions and some doubts about Jesus. I don't really know if I believe in Jesus. Can I just tell you something today? Let me tell you what this story means. It means that for you, if Jesus were to walk through the doors of our church, and that would be pretty awesome. Jesus, you feel free. You're welcome anytime. If Jesus were to walk through the doors of our church, he would much rather get a coffee and spend time with you than he would with me. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of Jesus. And what Jesus wants us to understand today, that his presence is he shows up with the multitudes, with the people, that that he is bringing a solution. He's bringing a remedy to all of the things that they're facing. But I also want you to understand that Jesus didn't just show up to bring his presence to bring a remedy to all the issues that people were facing then or now. What Jesus does in this text is a huge shift in the ministry of Jesus. Up to this point, Jesus has been the one that's done all of the teaching. He's done all of the miracles. He's done all of the walking from town to town to village to village. But in this text, in this verse, Jesus makes a monumental shift where he now begins to invite other people into the mission. Notice what he says in verse 37 in Matthew chapter nine. He said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Embedded in these two verses are a few things. Number one, Jesus saying, listen, I know that you know that a farmer, when he looks across his field, he knows when the right time is to harvest. If not, he won't be farming very long. 
He's learned the right time to harvest. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he says, listen, I want you to understand this. I want you to look out to all the multitudes of people that we're seeing. In the same way that the, that, that, that the fruit in the field is ready to be harvested, I'm telling you that the fruit amongst the multitudes of people is ready to be harvested. There are people with spiritual burdens. There are people asking serious questions. There are people who are longing for something that is real, something that is true. And I'm telling you that when you look across the multitudes of the people, the field is ripe unto harvest. There are people who are ripe to hear about the good news of Jesus, that God sent his son into the world to be the solution to the problem that we are all facing and that by faith in him we could be accepted into his family no longer his enemy but his children no longer need to be concerned about experiencing God's wrath or God's condemnation but able to position ourselves to experience God's love God's grace God's kindness God's gifts God's blessings and because of that we are able to experience a life that is abundance in freedom abundance in peace and abundance in joy Jesus says to his disciples then, and I believe he's saying to you and to me today, that the fields all around us in our communities are ripe unto harvest. Our neighbors, our coworkers, our, t- our, our, our kids' teachers, their friends and their families. There are people all around us everywhere that we go facing the same things that people were facing in Jesus' day that are desperate for somebody to point them to some sort of hope that is real, that lasts. Here's the second thing Jesus is telling them. He's telling them, and you are the laborers. Jesus says, y'all been watching up to this point and you've been seeing me do all the things, but now here's the deal. I'm inviting you into the process. I'm inviting you to join in the work. And not only that, the third thing he's telling them here is not only are you the laborers, you're going to need some help. So you need to pray for me to send you some more help. Listen to me, as we sit in this season in time, the evidence of the spiritual hunger is so real all around us. And Jesus is saying to you today, he's saying to me today, we are the laborers. And Jesus is sending us out into the world to go tell people about the good news of Jesus and the love of God that changes people's lives. This week, as a staff, we spent about 45 minutes together praying for you. Praying for you to be filled with courage and boldness. Praying for you to be looking for opportunities to share and show the love of Jesus to the people around you praying for God to send laborers into the harvest. Why? Well, because following Jesus isn't about just what is contained in this hour or so when we're together on a Sunday morning. It's a part of it. Following Jesus is about what we do when we carry Jesus with us out into the world, into every relationship and conversation. So that someone out there Someone that is close to you but far from God can experience Jesus the way that you have. So let me ask you this question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who is at least one person that is close to you but far from God? Have you thought of them yet? I've got two. One that's close and local and one that's far away. If you've been with me for a while, um, I've talked about praying for my grandfather and still praying for him to come to know Jesus. Who's your one? 
Here's what I believe that Jesus would ask you today. Here's what I'm asking you today. I'm asking, would you do three things? Number one, would you commit to pray for your one by name? Would you commit to pray for him by name? I want to help you with this, help you with this. When you came in today, you saw this sitting on your seat. It's a lifesaver. Um, this is not a subliminal hint that we as a church collectively have bad breath. Although if we're going to love people like Jesus would, we should probably consider our breath. It's hard for people to hear what we say when people are offended by what they smell. Amen? Some of y'all who are married, you need to ask an honest question. Babe, am I that person? Am I slaying you with my dragon breath? Because if you can't stand it, my one ain't going to listen to anything I'm saying. But that's not what this is for. I want to give you these lifesavers because Jesus is the lifesaver. Sorry, that was really cheesy. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and so sometimes my youth pastor stuff comes out. But here's what I want you to do with this. I want you to put this somewhere that, is, that will be a place that you will see it or feel it multiple times a day. Maybe it's in your pocket, your purse, on your, uh, in, you know, in your bedroom somewhere, in your car, at your office. I don't know where. But I want you to put this somewhere where you will see it and feel it multiple times a day. And every time you see it, every time that you feel it, I want you to do this. Would you take five seconds and pray for your one by name? God, I pray for to come to know you. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but prayer matters. Prayer moves mountains. The prayer, when we pray to God, what we're doing is, is we are aligning ourselves to the things that God wants. And there, scripture says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. If they are on your heart, they have been on God's heart. And when we pray, what we do is we align ourselves to God's word and it frees up the clutter so that God can begin to go to work through our lives in the world around us. So I want you to pray for them by name. And then I don't want you to eat it you don't get to eat it until your one comes to a relationship and faith in Jesus. You might need to get some other Tic Tacs to eat along the way, but don't eat this one until that happens. You go, I don't really know how to pray. Then I want to help you with that as well. When you leave here today, you can go to the welcome tent and you can get this. This is a 30-day prayer journal that is specifically designed for you, for you to spend 30 days praying for your one. Grab this and, and, and spend some time specifically lifting up your one. I want you to pray for your one. Here's the second thing I want to ask. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to pursue your one? Would you be willing to pursue them? Now, I'm not talking about like weird creeper stalky stuff, okay? Like, don't be that person, all right? That's weird. That's how you end up in jail. You might be going to heaven, but you may also be going to jail. Don't do that, Okay? unless you intentionally trying to help people in jail know about Jesus. In which case, there's many other ways to do that. But would you pursue them? What do I mean by that? Would you be willing to rearrange your calendar and your schedule of things to create space for you and your one to be around each other? Maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's an invitation to, um, to invite them over to your home and share a meal with them. Maybe it's a, you know, let's go to lunch, let's grab a coffee. I don't know what it looks like, but would you be willing to pursue them by creating space in your life 
so that you can be around them. Why is this so important? Because scripture says in Romans chapter two, verse four, that it's the goodness of God that draws people to himself. And so, so if, if you're not creating space, if you know Jesus and you want them to know Jesus and you're not creating space for, for you to be able to spend some time around them, then where are they gonna experience the goodness of God? And when you are around them, by the way, you don't have to make every single half second filled with, do you know Jesus? You need to come to know Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me open up the Bible. Let me hit you in the head with the Bible. If you don't know Jesus, you're a sinner. You're going to turn. You, if you don't turn, you're going to burn. You're going to either be sanctified or chicken fried. You got to make a decision now, 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 five, four, three, two, one, now. For the love of everything that is holy, please don't do that. Okay. Can I tell you that sometimes one of the most genuine things of godly love and care for people that you can do is to just genuinely care about who they are as a person? To pray for them, ask them if you can pray for them out loud. And as you pursue them, here's what I believe that God will do. I believe that God will open up doors of opportunity so you can do the third thing that I'm asking you to do, that God is asking you to do. Would you persuade them to consider Jesus? Now listen to me, it's not your job that they accept Jesus. It is your job that you tell them about the goodness of Jesus. You go, well, I don't really know how to do that. Well, I know that can be really intimidating. So here's what we've done. Today at four o'clock at our church office, we're gonna have an evangelism workshop where we are going to equip you and empower you with some of the most ridiculously simple ways to be able to look for opportunities to be able to talk to people about Jesus. It is super intimidating. Listen, I'm a pastor and it is still intimidating for me. There are times where I've got to work up the gumption to like make the turn to talk about Jesus. And so we just want to equip you with that. So if you look in your handout, you'll find two QR codes. One is a QR code where you can scan it. And you can learn more about this never settle thing because if you're new with us, we want to let you know. We want, to, we want you to know what we've been doing as a church for the last year. I want to invite you to come be a part of it. But the second thing is you're going to notice is a QR code for our evangelism workshop that we're doing tonight. Please go there, register so that we can know who to expect and come and spend some time with us. Allow us to come alongside of you and equip you on how you have conversations with Je- about people with Jesus. The last thing, at bare minimum, would you consider doing this? When you walked in on the chair next to you, you saw this. These are invitations to our Easter service. Listen to me. We, we are going to do everything that we can to tell the good news of Jesus as clearly as we can. You have relationships with people that I don't have. And I and our team has a platform that you don't have. Let's work together this Easter. Let's acknowledge the spiritual hunger that's out there. And let's, let's not just be passive observers of what's going on in the world around us. Let's be active participants in the advancing story of the good news of Jesus in the lives of people. And you never know how the power of one simple invitation might forever change somebody's life. As we close today, church, I just want to ask you, and if you agree with this, I'm going to ask you to out loud say amen, because I think this is something that we can lose sight of sometimes. I'm just curious, do you believe that Jesus cares about the needs of our city? Do you believe that Jesus cares about the, the marriages in our community that are in crisis? 
Do you believe that Jesus cares about the, the, the diagnoses and the medical infirmities that people are facing around us? Do you believe that Jesus cares about the mental health issues that are plaguing our country? Do you believe that Jesus cares about the addict and their fight and their struggle against some sort of substance? Then let us leave here today praying that God would fill us with compassion, that our stomach would be turned in knots over the multitudes of people that we are going to see this week. And let us be reminded that we are the laborers in the field. It's not just me. It's not just Brian. It's not just our staff. It is all of us who call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. 